If you would take your Bibles and turn in the New Testament to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, I'll begin to read at verse 3. Before I begin that reading, let me just give you the title of my sermon for today. The title is, The Living and Abiding Word of God. And in our hermeneutics class, at preaching class in the seminary, they always told us that we should... Uh, take and write out uh, in one sentence, if we could, what we were going to say throughout our sermon, so I always try to do that. And the theme of our sermon today, and it's, if you were taking notes, it's a, I do have three points, and it is in that uh, theme. The theme is this, the first point is, Christians are born again through Christ. Second, they are born again in Christ to holy living and then third, that holy living is by the eternal living Word of God. Look for those things in this Scripture as we hear the reading from 1 Peter, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you did not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then skipping down to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he has called you, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead 
and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow in salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Again, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us our salvation through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That in many different ways, if we would talk to each other, you have opened this, your living word, to us and brought us by the power of your Holy Spirit into faith as those who are from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, those that you have called to yourself. Lord, make us to be those who love you above all things. We make these prayers in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. When Scott uh, emailed me, asked me to preach, I uh, began to think, well, what should I preach about? One of the privileges of being retired, not to preaching uh, on any kind of regular basis, is now I can, uh, much to my wife's discontent sometimes, I can spend a lot of time reading, which I love to do. I read a lot of things. And I've been in the midst of reading uh, from the perspective of some people who, uh, though they claim to have the truth, do not indeed have the truth. And I was thinking about what I could share with you all uh, this afternoon and from whence that would come in the scriptures. And I thought about uh, different passages that I might share with you. I kept coming back to this passage that I've read to you from the book of uh, 1 Peter. Uh, As I said this morning, I have a certain affinity for this uh, part of the scriptures, this book of Peter, 1 and 2 Peter, because I'm an old man, and I'm preaching to a lot of young folks. And that's what Peter was doing. Now, I'm not an apostle. Uh, you certainly know that. Uh, but I have had the privilege over the years of being able to, to study God's Word and over the years of my ministry to share that Word uh, with uh, my congregation in different places and with other people. And it is a glorious privilege that God gives you when, you, when, you, when He gives you the opportunity to do, to do that. And so, that's what I'm uh, doing this afternoon. I want to share with you, those of you who, uh, perhaps all of you are, are already believers. If not, I hope that as I share from God's Word, uh, that God will use this Word through my preaching, through the work of His Holy Spirit, to bring you in relationship 
to Himself. We're a privileged people. I, I said this morning, I think it's true. Uh, I'm like Scott. I don't believe that, that we uh, should be discouraged about the culture in which we live, the time in which we live, because God's church is going to prevail. God's kingdom is coming and will come. But we live in difficult times. I've lived in my time uh, through some, some pretty nice years because even though uh, there are a lot of difficulties, that, that I've faced and, and people of my age have faced, uh, we have lived for the most part in a culture in which we still had uh, the Bible and the truths of the Bible, even though people weren't Christians, all of them necessarily, at least the underlying culture was a biblically-based culture. That's no longer the case. And, and I stand before you this afternoon and say the things that I'm going to say to you might get you into trouble, might already be getting you into trouble if you're standing forth as one who believes that Jesus is your Savior and that His Word is the truth. So I, I, as I said, with some, I, I'm not going to be persecuted too much. I don't have that much time left, I don't think, but uh, hopefully sometime. But in any case, you're the ones that are as younger believers in the faith, they're going to suffer persecution. This is what Peter was talking to these folks about. They had become Christians through the preaching of the gospel, but now they were going to suffer uh, uh, persecutions. And he says their faith would be tested. But he tells them, hold on. Hang on, because this is the truth that God has given to you, those of you who have been born again. Uh, I wanted to share with you something from... Uh, my history, not because I want to focus on myself, but to illustrate what I'm talking about when I talk about the importance of our being those who continue to hold fast to the truth that God has given to us through the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus, that has been made known to us in this Scripture. In 1965, and you can figure up how long ago that was, in the fall of that year, I had graduated from Bellhaven College in Jackson, Mississippi, a wonderful uh, Christian college, uh, had had wonderful teaching by those who really loved God and His Word, men and women who, who, were, who were intelligent, who were very uh, committed to, to God's Word, who knew what they were talking about, and so I had that background, and so I was going off to seminary. And, uh, so I went to Columbia Seminary, in uh, Decatur, uh, uh, Georgia, which is uh, right outside to the east uh, of Atlanta, and uh, expecting, uh, wanting to be taught how to preach and teach God's Word. And then we'll forget it. I went into our, my first class of systematic theology where my professor was going to be, uh, I thought, telling us about how we, through God's Word, know who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and how our theology is, is to be understood from the Scriptures. And he stood before us that day, and again, it's, it's emblazoned on my memory, and he said to us, I know that many of you young men have come here because you have been taught in your churches at home and in, and in your colleges where you have studied that this, and he held up the Bible and he said, that this book is true in every part. That it is the Word of God. That there's no errors there. And he said, and you're here 
in this class and in this seminary to be disabused of that understanding. And I thought to myself, what is going on? That he sees as his responsibility to teach us that this is not in its fullness God's Word. Well, that was the start. I went later on, I remember a few months later, we were in a uh, Christian counseling class. And our counselor was teaching us how we should be counseling people. And remember, this was Christian counseling. That's what it's supposed to be. And so he was teaching us non-directive counseling. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That means that you don't really say anything to the people that you're talking to. You just listen. Uh, they come in, for instance, and say, you know, uh, counselor, I, I am in despair. Uh, I'm depressed. I, uh, I feel like I want to end it all. I think I would like to throw myself. We were on, we were on the second floor of this building. He said, I feel, think I should throw myself out this window and end it all. And he said, this is what you say. What I hear you saying is that you're in despair. That you are feeling terrible. That you think you might want to end it all. Don't tell them anything. Just listen. Not complete non-directing counsel. He went on talking to us, and a friend of mine, who always liked to speak up, raised his hand. And he said, Doctor, when do we tell him about Jesus? And he said, No! No! <laughs> no! That's not your responsibility. It's not Jesus they need to know about. And again, I thought to myself, why am I here? <laughs> what is this all about? Because I believe with all of my heart, and still do, and we all should, that what we need to hear, ultimately, is who Jesus is and how He is at work in our life and how we become those who live because He has made us to be alive and we live because He is the one who's leading us through life. Well, by God's grace, uh, at the end of that year, I left. I, I didn't share it this morning. I, I remember a, mine, a, a friend of mine who was a senior. I went to him and I said, Tom, I don't think I can take it any longer. I don't think I could be. This, is, this has been an awful year. It was one of the worst years of my life. And he said to me, Randall, flee this place. Get out. <laughs> so I did. I, I left. I went for uh, 18 months working in a, in a church. And, and then uh, by that time, a reform seminary had opened up in Jackson, Mississippi, for the very purpose of teaching men how to preach from this living Word of God. And so I went there by God's grace and uh, continued with my ministry. But I tell you these stories because that's what I want you to hear this morning. What Peter said to these young believers looking in relationship to who Peter was in the faith. Who are you? Who are we in this church? Why are we here?
if we're believers. We're here because by God's grace, we have been born again to a living hope that is Christ Jesus. When do you tell somebody about Jesus? Whenever you have the opportunity. I don't mean you necessarily start off with that. I don't mean that in your counseling, you necessarily start off saying, well, first, before we start, before I hear anything you say, let me talk to you about it. But I mean at some point in there, you've got to talk to people. At some point in dealing with those who are unbelievers, you've got to say to them, this is life. This is the way you can live both now and forever. And it is by believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, being born again to this living hope as Peter said, been an eyewitness. He knew the things that are testified to in the Gospels. He'd been the one who had heard Jesus speak. He'd been the one who had heard Jesus as He gave the parables, as He told them why He'd come into the world, as He had been, had been crucified and raised from the dead. Peter was an eyewitness of that. And these people, as Peter said, you didn't have this privilege. You are those who, having not seen, believe the truth. You are those who know the truth because those who have seen it have given you that Word. That's what the Scriptures are. They are words that come from God by those who have seen the Lord Jesus, by those in the Old Testament who were the prophets of God, who were led by the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible itself says, holy men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write down those things that they know are true. How do we know Jesus? We haven't seen Him. We don't know Him in a personal way, but we know Him because He has given us this Word. This is His truth. It is indeed the very Word of God. And it is this Word that guides us and directs us. As Scott preached last week, as he began to preach, I thought, well, I don't need to preach next Sunday because he's going to uh, say the things that I might have said this Sunday. But it's true. This is not the Lord Jesus. This is not God. We don't want and should not ever think that the Bible, in some sense, is the truth itself. No, what it is, is an instrument. It is that which God has determined to use. This revelation that He has given to us who have not seen the Lord Jesus, but it's this revelation that as it is opened up, bring us to know who God is. It is the living Word. It is the incarnate Word. It tells us who God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we are those who, who know that we must uh, not decide that we will just decide who God is, and especially, we will not decide who Jesus is. Now, why would I say that? Well, perhaps you've run into it. I've run into it a number of times. If not, you will in this world in which we live. You've run into people say, I know who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus. And you say, Tell me about it. And they began to tell you about a Jesus. Where did that come from? Not the Jesus that is incarnate. Not the Jesus who is from this Word that God has given to us. I was 
sharing, there was, uh, my wife likes to go to thrift stores, and sometimes I go with her, uh, and she's usually looking at different things, and I'm looking at the used books. And I was one in one this week, uh, last week, and I picked up this book, and the title of it was The Son of Man. And it was a number of writers writing about Jesus. And I opened it up and began to read through some of them. I knew, in just looking at who some of these writers were, pretty much what I was going to get. But I, I, I read through it. And everyone was uh, someone saying, as I look at the world and what I need to know, here is the Jesus I believe in. Here's the Jesus I've defined for myself. I bought it, one to read some more of it, one to get it off the shelves. Uh, I don't burn them, but I didn't want other people being... Uh, uh, reading this particular book at the, at the, that was there. Um, I say that somewhat facetiously. But anyway, th- this, is, this, is, this is where we are so often. We're in that place where people want to define for themselves who the Lord is. And we do not have that privilege. We find who He is by reading the Gospels, by reading the prophets, by reading Peter and John and Paul, this word that God has given to us. I am not here to disabuse you of believing that this is God. I am here to tell you that God has revealed Himself to us in this word. And it is through this word that we believe in Him. And it is through this word that we lead others to believe in Him. To know that this word of God has become incarnate in the Son of God, our Lord Jesus. And we must proclaim Him as the way of life, both now and forever. But you know, as Peter goes on to say to these to whom he's writing, this preaching and teaching about who Jesus is that gives us this imperishable hope is not just that we ourselves might have our salvation so we get saved and then one of these days we're going to go to heaven. No, this is, the Word of God teaches us much more than that. It is a Word which tells us how to live. We have more than redemption. Too often people just get saved, they think they get saved, and and they sort of stop there. But that's not what the Scripture tells us we're to do. It tells us that we are to live the holy life. The, uh, the shorter catechism, our catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechism, asks the question, perhaps I hope all of you are familiar with the answer, what is man's chief end? It's not to get saved. Man's chief end is to what? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It is a life to which He calls us. And, and that's the second point I want to make. We are to be a holy and obedient people. We are to love one another, as he says, having learned the truth, being in this fellowship. What are we to do? We are to love one another. We are to do those things that God tells us to do. The first commandment, the greatest commandment, the Word teaches us is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. We are 
creatures made by God for His purpose. Second is likened in the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourselves. In other words, we are to be a loving people. And we are to, and he goes on to say, we have been given the truth, the truth by which we are to, to live before Him. Again, we don't define this truth. We don't define what love is. We, we must be certain, even in this day when it might be hard, you must be certain not to let the world define for you what truth is and what love is. It seems somewhat arrogant, if you think about it, for us as Christians to say to the world, I'm sorry, but you don't know the truth. But brothers and sisters, that's where we are, by God's grace. We know the truth not because we're more intelligent than other people, not because we have a greater capacity to think things through, than other people. No, we know the truth because the truth is God who has revealed Himself to us through the living Word, His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we must say that in some way, by the way that we live, even by how we speak to people. We cannot let the world define truth for us. And we cannot let the world define love for us. I spent a lot of years in studying the Scriptures looking at what the Scripture teaches us about what, what love is. And you may be familiar with this, that love uh, in the Scriptures, there, in the Greek, uh, there, there's more than one word for love, and so it's sort of hard for us to describe always, but the Scripture uses that word in a number of ways. The, the the number one way it used in Scripture when it talks about who we are to be as those who are children of God is agape love. That's the kind of love that we have that God wants us to have for Him and for one another. But it also talks about uh, uh, philos, which is a, a brotherly love. It talks about eros, which is, which is the sexual uh, component of love. It talks about uh, 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 just a sort of a friendship kind of love that is not even a brotherly love. Uh, but for the most part, Scripture, when it talks about love, is talking about the fact that we are to be those who are not self-centered, but are outward-looking. What does it say? What does love mean? We love God, where? From us outward. We love our brothers as, and sisters as we love ourselves, not inwardly, but outwardly. We live in a world which is very selfish. We've been taught, one of the things I've been reading is about this, we've been taught to be self-centered, to think of self, that we are the determiner of truth, that we are the determiner of love. You see this, how many times I, I don't often uh, watch the talk. Any of you ever watched the talk on television? Well, don't watch it if you don't. <laughs> but I was watching it one day, just happened to turn it on, and they were talking as, as many times you see this. And somebody said, well, I'm not sure what you're saying is right. I'm not sure that's true. And the other person on there said, well, it's my truth. You can't say that it's not true because it's my truth. That's as false as it can be. There is a truth 
and we don't determine it. It is God's truth. In the same realm, you see, we are in a time in which people say, what determines how I live my life is how I love and determine to love. What love are they talking about? Again, their determination of what love is. But again, we as Christians know that that is not the way that we can live. We don't get to determine what love is. God determines what love is in all the realms of our being. And so we have to stand firm and say, no, you don't get to determine truth. You don't get to determine what love is. God determines that. We are to be a holy and obedient people living in love and living in truth together, defining those terms. And it's important that we define our terms according to this word that God has given to us. The last part of this, of course, is what we have been talking about, that it is this living word of God that reveals our Redeemer, and He guides us through life. You'll continue to live in a world where you will hear over and over again this truth or that truth, this way of living or that way of living, this man or this woman's determination of how you should live and how you should uh, go through your life. Don't be fooled by that. As, as, as we were singing, the devil says the Bible is lies and you live your own way. That's what he said to Eve, wasn't it? Has God said, don't listen to God. Do this and you'll live. But if we listen to the lies of the devil, if we listen to the lies that others put forth, it is a way of death, not the way of life. Our life as those who are born again through Christ to holy living is living by the eternal Word that God has given to us. The Word that has been revealed to us through this book. Again, not God, not the Lord Jesus, but the way that He has determined that He in our day, past the time when there were living witnesses, will tell us who He is, what we're to believe to have salvation, what we're to know in order to live the, the life that God wants us to live. We're a privileged people. We've been given the word of life. And by it, what we must live. I said this morning, I, I find, won't find it hard to, to preach a sermon without quoting John Calvin, so I'll quote John Calvin for you. Calvin wrote, uh, as he was talking about this passage of Scripture, what then is the word of God? That word of God, that living and abiding word, which gives us life. It is the law. It is the prophets. It is the gospels. It is that word that God has given through those holy men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. And those who wander beyond these limits of revelation find nothing but the impostures of Satan and his delusions instead of the word of God. We are a privileged people. One of the joys of coming here to worship is not preaching myself, but hearing someone else preach the Word. The living Word of God. 
That's what you get when you come here. And I hope that if that ever ceases to be the case, you'll leave. So don't move away. <laughs> and I know I was, it, we must be those who hear and who know in ourselves, hold on fast and tightly to the Word, that living Word that God has given to us to live now and to live forever. I want to close by quoting or reading these words, just the first verse of a hymn that I like to sing, and it's called, O Word of God Incarnate. O Word of God Incarnate, O Wisdom from on high, O Truth unchanged, unchanging, O Light of our dark sky, we praise Thee for the radiance that from the hallowed page, a lantern to our footsteps, shines on, from age to age until that living Word comes again and we will see Him in the flesh and we will praise our God that He's given us life through Him. Let us pray. Father, how we thank You that we have been privileged through so many ways to know the truth, the truth of who is living our Lord and Savior Jesus, that He's given us this book not to worship, but to know Him and to know You as we're led, uh, You, O oh Father, as we're led by the power of the Holy Spirit to live, love You and to love one another. It is in the name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen.